bet they're really getting confidence now. Welcome back to another episode of Cuddy and the Cooge. Today is a very special episode with a very special guest who happens to be my co-host, <laughs> the old Cuddy over here. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it, it is a good day. Uh, I am the special guest and uh, I guess we're going to talk about the hall of fame today so i'm looking forward to it yeah so instead of turning it over to cuddy for the intro the cooge is going to do the intro today and it's going to be a little lengthy because i'm going to give the bio that was read for him probably won't do as good of a job as the uh kevin bowlinger he's a great sportscaster working for fox 5 news out in vegas but i'll do as good as i can uh so here we go. We've got Jerry Koloski here in our program, athletic trainer and administrator, 1982 to 2014. That was his career at UNLV anyways. Jerry Koloski, who oversaw the creation of the modern era UNLV athletic training program, never intended to be an administrator. Content on leading the athletic training department as well as teaching and helping managing his craft on a state, regional, and national basis, his path was altered by an AD who essentially re reassigned Koloski to being his right-hand man. A former baseball player at Marietta College, which is in Ohio, Koloski earned his bachelor's degree from West Virginia and then his master's from Iowa State. An NATA certified athletic trainer since 1980, Koloski moved to UNLV in 1982 to become co-head athletic trainer and spent nine years as head athletic trainer for the Rebel football team. In 1983, he became head athletic trainer for an intercollegiate athletic teams at UNLV. Koloski spent 15 years with the Running Rebels as the athletic trainer for men's basketball which reached the NCAA Final Four three times during his tenure, including the 1990 NCAA championship season. In 1992, he was named Director of Athletic Training, and in 1996, was promoted to Assistant Athletic Director of Sports Medicine and Operations. In 1998, he was elevated to Senior Associate AD by Charlie Cavagnaro, and a decade later, he spent a year as Interim Athletics Director for the Rebels. During his time on campus, Koloski was widely responsible for developing the school's clinical sports medicine program and turning it into one of the premier programs for both undergraduate and graduate students and developing UNLV's drug prevention, education, testing, and counseling program. He served on the UNLV Alcohol Task Force Committee as a licensed alcohol and drug counselor and created and served as the first president of the Nevada State Athletic Trainers Association. A former member of the Far West Athletic Trainers Association Managing Board, he served as the National Athletic Trainers Association Public Relations Chair from 1998 to 2001. Honored by FWATA with the Distinguished Athletic Trainers Award, 
Koloski later served on the NC2A Committee on Competitive Safeguards and Medical Aspects of Sports Committee from 2004 to 2008, including chairing the committee for two years. He also chaired for many years the same UNLV Athletics Hall of Fame committee that voted him as a member of the class of 2022. In 2015, Koloski moved to New York to serve as deputy AD at Albany University until his retirement from college athletics in 2019. So I would like to give a warm welcome to our guest today, Big Jer Cuddy Koloski. How you doing today, Big Jer? I'm doing good, Cooge. I'm doing good. It's a long <laughs> introduction. A, ma- a mouthful. A long introduction. Uh, I know you, I'm just sitting here looking at all that, and um, you know, my career was kind of piecemealed at UNLV. <laughs> like, you know, I have more, I have more titles and had more responsibilities, and those responsibilities changed, and I got different responsibilities. <laughs> Uh, so I was kind of all over the place there now that I'm looking at that bio, but, uh, but it was certainly an honor to, um, well, you were the, the head <laughs> athletic trainer for football for nine years, but then for only one year, because then you became the co-head athletic trainer for something else. Well, <laughs> like I'm reading your bio and I'm like, these years are not. This math is well, not no. doing math here. It's, so when I first got, to, now first of all, it says I created the modern era of athletic training program. And, you know, I, I will, when I got to UNLV, there was some really good athletic trainers that preceded me um, and, and kind of moved on to bigger and better jobs. So, um, you know, I walked into a pretty good situation. UNLV was kind of up and coming. Uh, they started to make some investments in their program. You know, Coach Tarkanian at the time, in 1977, went to the Final Four, which kind of put UNLV on the map. Um, in 1980, I believe, Brad Rothamel became the athletic director, really kind of started that evolution of, you know, growing the athletic program. So when I got there in 82, um, you know, it, it was a good situation. Um, there was a lot of work that needed to be done because we had an academic program, then we had the athletic program, and there was there wasn't a lot of cohesion between the academic program and the athletic program in a sense of how the students matriculated through and our team physicians we had one one central team physician group uh, made up of Dr. Higgins it was called University Orthopedics um, really didn't have a student health center on campus um, so there there was a lot of work that needed to be done to bring in the type of athletic training, medical um, coverage that you need for student athletes when I got there. But there, there was a decent foundation. So it was, it was good. But going back to that thing, so I got there in 82, um, and I was a co-head athletic trainer. So the guy that actually called me to bring me out there was a guy named Tommy Coer. Tommy and I went to school at West Virginia, a good friend. <clears throat> and... Um, and so I took the job, and I was the, the specifically the basketball athletic trainer, and I helped Tommy in football uh, in 82. There was also a women's athletic trainer, uh, a young a lady at the time named Jeannie Denham, and she had been there before both Tommy and I. She had been there for several years as part of some previous staffs. So after my first year, 
Tommy at the time that was right in the, the, the big beginning of the sports medicine clinics and athletic trainers were being hired away to sports medicine clinics for more money and, you know, probably less hours. So Tommy uh, and I both had that opportunity at a clinic in Vegas and he, we, we both kind of interviewed, we went and, you know, obviously the jobs would have been ours if we had wanted them. Tommy took it. He wanted to go that direction. I really didn't want to go that direction. So I stayed behind in simultaneously the women's athletic trainer, Jeannie, came in and, and you know, said, Hey, Jerry, I just want to let you know too, I'm leaving. I, you know, I've been here long enough. I'm, you know, we want to start our family and kind of move on. So then there was just me. So, and, and I was 25 years old and, and I went in and I asked Brad Rothamel, uh, who was the athletic director, you know, and, you know, Hey, what are we going to do? And I didn't think, you know, and I pre- think I t- told this story a little bit before, but, um, you know, he said, well, I don't know. What do you want to do? And I basically just said, well, I'd like to be the head athletic trainer and oversee the whole program. And, um, and so he let me do that mm-hmm. crazy as it was. And, um, you know, for the amount of experience that I had. And so from 82 to like whatever year that was that I, I was with football, you know, when you're in that situation, I would go from football to basketball and then I'd end up having to cover spring football in the spring. And then we had some sports that went into the summer, like track and field and, and baseball. And if they were short of coverage and I would cover that, my responsibilities kept growing. So I, I could not really do both any longer. And so I gave up the head football job or, or taking care of football. And I finished out with basketball because that's what Brad wanted me to do because of coach Tarkanian. So, um, so I still was an athletic trainer. I still helped with football, but I didn't have the day-to-day responsibilities. Kyle Wilson, who was my longtime assistant overtook the football program and kind of gave me a break. Uh, Mm -hmm. so that was, that was that, what that happened. And then, you know, once coach Tarkanian left and, you know, I continued to work uh, as an athletic trainer, um, then it was mentioned in my bio, Charlie Cavagnero became the athletic director. And, um, you know, he brought me in the office one day and, and, um, you know, well, I, I take that back. Wasn't in the office. I picked him up at the airport for a game that we were playing in basketball. Billy Baino was our coach at the time. And um, Charlie demanded that I picked him up at the airport. And I kept saying I couldn't do it because we had a shoot around and we had a game that night. And so long story short there, you know, when your boss says go do something, you go do it. So (laughs) I went and picked him up at the airport. And on the way down, he starts talking to me about, you know, hey, I want to move you into administration. I see how you work with the coaches, and I need somebody like you and this and that. And I literally said, Charlie, I have no interest. <laughs> I, mean, I had no interest in um, in becoming, you know, an administrator at that time. And and he said, uh, well, you know, you really need to think about it. And I'm like, well, I, I, Charlie, I don't think there's really anything to think about. I, I'm happy where I'm at. So he kept persistently calling me and you know, then he said, okay, why don't you just stay as an athletic trainer and move into administration and just be on my senior staff and, you know, you could still do what you do and, you know, but I want you to move your office over here, you know, and to the Thomas and Mac when I was in the lead complex. And 
And I'm like, Man. so he like backdoored you into it. Yeah, sort of. <laughs> uh, you know, and I figured out real quick after a year of still working basketball and the travel and the time and all that, you know, I just found myself getting farther and farther away from the student athletes. I was getting later to practices sometime. And, you know, I was kind of fooling the system in a sense. And so finally I just caved in and, and became a full-time administrator and um, gave up all of athletic training at that time. So it was, um, you know, it, it turned out to be a good decision. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I think, you know, as I've, I've talked about before, up until my last year at UNLV, it was a great decision, I thought. I think, you know, I, I really enjoyed my years as an administrator and um, it was a lot of fun. You know, it was great watching student athletes, you know, participate, graduate and all those things. And I've, I've said this, you know, millions of times before to people is I didn't work any less really as an administrator. I just was able to choose my hours um, as opposed to my hours being chosen by, you know, practice schedules and travel schedules and things of that nature. So, uh, uh, but it, it was good. And, and, and I, you know, I really enjoyed it up until the day I left UNLV. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about the experience you didn't have at the Hall of Fame, <laughs> because yeah. for our listeners who might not know, uh, one day before leaving, well, this was inevitable. So if we're backing up a little bit, my child, who is five months old, got COVID. And as you know, or hopefully you know, five months olds like to be held and grandparents particularly like to hold them a lot. So my five-month-old comes positive with COVID. She's fine. Everybody's fine. Um, but then my, my mom, her grandmother, becomes positive with COVID so it, I, you know, it was only a matter of time. We were hoping that the Cuddy over here wouldn't get the COVID, but he took a test the day he was going to leave. And sure enough, yeah. two, two positives, COVID. Yes, <laughs> I was definitely positive and I definitely Well, I have to say, horrible. I have to say that he had COVID long before that, but I, I was like denying it because I felt like some sort of responsibility in a sense that like basically my kid gave him COVID. So I was trying to like, will it not to happen? Like, Oh, you're probably fine. But he was complaining of back pain for a few days. And one of my girlfriends and she, that was her only COVID symptom. Like she had back pain. She went to the doctor to get like pain medicine. Her back hurt so bad. And they're like, well, nothing's wrong with your back. You have COVID. <laughs> So my dad's like, oh, my back hurts. And I was like, you're fine. You don't have COVID. Like, you're fine. And then he did. So he didn't get to go. No. And it was, well, back up one day, I, we were I was supposed to fly out on Wednesday. And uh, on Tuesday, my son Jimmy was visiting here with our granddaughter, Charlotte. And Jimmy and Chase, our producer, we went golfing. Mm -hmm. And uh, I wasn't feeling bad that day at all, except my back was killing me. And I literally could not finish the golf round. I had to quit after nine holes. Uh, my back, it just felt like it was in total spasm. <laughs> and so I went in and waited on Chase and Jimmy to finish. And, um, and then driving home, you know, I started feeling worse. And then that night I felt really bad. And then 
you know, as you said, the next morning on Wednesday, I took a test and I was positive, but um, it wasn't a great experience. So people out there who've had COVID, you probably know what I'm talking about. If you were symptomatic, you know, fortunately there's people who are asymptomatic and I, I would have taken that over the symptoms at any day, but mm -hmm. it wasn't very much fun Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Um, I, I was really down and out. My, I just felt terrible. I didn't have any energy, didn't feel like doing anything. So yeah. I'm glad I got through that. And then Saturday, of course, was the induction ceremony is where I was supposed to be in Vegas for it. And I was sitting at my house mm -hmm. and I got some really nice text messages and, you know, voicemails and things like that from people who were actually at the event, kind of sending me, you know, pictures and things like that. So that was pretty cool. But but going back to the Hall of Fame in general, as it said in my bio, I chaired the Hall of Fame at UNLV for a number of years. And I always used to hold that to a very high standard. Um, I think everybody uh, holds Hall of Fames to a very high standard uh, wherever you're at. And we, we really did that. So when I got the call that I was inducted, I mean, I was totally shocked. I mean, I, um, I had no idea it was coming. I, I had no idea I was nominated. I mean, nothing against UNLV, but I, you know, I'd kind of forgotten about UNLV. I hadn't been there for six years and, you know, it was a great job and, and I kind of moved on and, uh, you know, and so, to get that call and to be recognized, you know, when you've been going for such a long time and, and, you know, then to like reflect on the accomplishments that it was, a, it was a big honor. And I was really disappointed to miss it. Um, I kind of wish I would have been there. And the nice part, you know, if you, you know, we, if you look at the inductees of that evening, Cooge, you know, like for example, Jim Wrights was the head men and women's swimming coach from 1980 to 2015. And, you know, Jim and I worked together, uh, you know, pretty much every year, but two, he got there two years before me. Great coach, great friend. Um, the swimming, when I first got to UNLV, the swimming pool was literally right next door to my office. And so you just walk out the door and you go right in the swimming pool. So I used to sometimes just walk over there and watch our kids swim and practice and things. And, and Jim did a hell of a job there, and so it was a good honor for him. And then Dr. Craig Hamilton and Dr. Keith Cohurst. Dr. Cohurst was actually a student athlete at UNLV when I first got there as the head athletic trainer for football. Played on the football team and, uh, you know, was a starting center, did a great job. and uh, Or he, was he a guard? I, I can't uh, – my memory kind of eludes me. But, but anyway, he went on after – uh, graduating and became an eye doctor. And Dr. Hamilton, Craig Hamilton, was one of probably the first physicians that I met when I was trying to, you know, put together a, a group of physicians that, to provide us coverage at UNLV. And Dr. Hamilton was already doing stuff with, with our baseball program and a couple other programs. And so, you know, back in 1982, and, you know, to this day, you know, we, we've remained friends and he's a heck of a, a team eye doctor for the program. Um, and I remember we had a basketball player back in the mid 80s and, you know, basketball obviously is real big. I, I don't remember who it was, but the kid was having a terrible time shooting free throws. And so nobody could figure out why. So, you know, Dr. Hamilton said, well, send him down here. And he did a bunch of tests on him and everything it was 
you know, a pretty easy fix. The kid couldn't see. So, you know, he's, <laughs> he was far-sighted or nearsighted, whichever one. And, and uh, you know, so he, he, he's, he was a great, great guy. And, um, and, of course, Anderson Hunt, who was inducted with, with my class, Anderson was the most valuable player in the 1990 uh, uh, NC2A championship. Great player, you know, was a four-year guy there. So Anderson and I, you know, have a long relationship, you know, really, really great guy. Wink Adams, another basketball player that got inducted. Now, Wink uh, played after I got out of athletic training, played for Lon Kruger in that team, but, but a very good player as well. Uh, Amanda Bingston probably one of the best track and field athletes uh, that has ever come out of um, UNLV. She was there from 2009 to 2012, and she was a local person out of Silverado High School. Um, Ooh. Well, I know. We got, <laughs> we got the Coronado Cougars here. But, um, <laughs> but you know, she um, was a three-time All-American, uh, finished fourth in the NC2As, uh, she, you know, she threw the, what's that called? The, the hammer. And, uh, you know, just, just was a, uh, you know, your typical like student athlete that you want in your program. Very good academically, very good athletically, very good person. Elena Getcha, Gancha, no. I, Elena Kanchiva. Kanchiva. Yeah. Elena was a, uh, on the tennis team. And, you know, again, she's an international student, but was one of those people that was very good academically, very good athletically. Fun fact too, our neighbor was the women's tennis coach. That's correct. Yes, <laughs> that's correct. And uh, she, you know, she did a lot, uh, you know, during her time at UNLV. Um, she, I remember 2005, I believe it was, she was the Mountain West Conference Freshman of the Year. Uh, you know, then just went on to have a stellar career was a sportswoman of the year at UNLV. You know, some of those things I do remember. Ryan Wolf uh, is another really, was another really good athlete at UNLV, uh, was a football player. Uh, Ryan played from 2006 to 2009. So again, I wasn't the athletic trainer during that time, but I got to watch him participate. And, um, his first team all conference, you know, he was from Santa Clarita, California, you know, just, just a really good, solid, uh, player. And, um, and I'm missing, oh, Teresa Kolbick was, uh, on the women's golf team and another, you know, international student athlete. So had a, a really stellar career at UNLV. So, you know, I mean, those are just highlights. I mean, these, these are some, you know, great people, um, and it, it certainly was an honor for me to be in, in their same class uh, because I got to actually watch what they did. And, uh, you know, so that was kind of cool. Um, you know, I remember seeing each and every one of them as student athletes, you know, participating. So that was really neat. Um, so it was it was well, a great event that I didn't get to see. Yeah. And from, you know, from like, of course, my dad's going to eat his humble pie over here, but... But what he said, you know, from what he says and what we all know, like he said, we hold, you know, Hall of Fames to a high standard. And that's because the people that get inducted into them 
you know, met that high standard and were nominated and voted on, like the process, you know, to, to get this type of nomination and to get inducted is, it was a pretty high process, a pretty involved process. So congrats, dad. Thank you, Kuz. You deserve it. Thank you. I, yeah, I, um, <laughs> well, I, I tell this story and I only tell it being funny, but a couple years ago, I got inducted into a hall of fame, which again, you know, I, I never thought I'd be inducted in any hall of fames. <laughs> so it's kind of cool. But a couple years ago, I was inducted into the, um, CPAS Hall of Fame at West Virginia University, which is the College of Physical Activity and Sports Science. And again, another great honor for me, because I've, I've talked about this candidly on our broadcast. Um, you know, I wasn't the greatest student academically uh, <laughs> when I went through WVU, um, but they certainly recognized my accomplishments in my career and, and stuff like that. And, and so I, I was inducted into the Hall of Fame. Well, then about a year later, I get a letter, you know, indicating that the CPAS, where, where I was in the Hall of Fame, uh, it, it was going to be no more. It was, getting, <laughs> it was getting consolidated with the College of Applied uh, Human Science. So again, you know, WVU, and, and again, I'm, I'm just making fun of this just as a joke, because um, CPAS is still strong, I think, there, and they, 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 they're still going to, you know, graduate kids and so forth, but um, you know, the only hall of fame I got inducted into is consolidated now. So, <laughs> so it was kind of nice to go into UNLV. I don't, I don't think they'll consolidate with anybody else. Yeah. <laughs> so I think Hopefully that'll not. stand up. Yeah. But, um, but one last, one other thing I, I want to talk a little bit about when I, when I was the chair of the committee, we started having a conversation about you know, there's, there's athletes that go through your program or administrators or whoever that really aren't maybe hall of fame worthy. They don't rise to that level, you know, particularly in student athletes, but yet they were, you know, great students, great ambassadors for the program. They went on to do great things in the community of which they live and those types of things. So we developed this thing called the silver, silver rebel award to kind of recognize that person or persons. And so there was one of those recipients during this hall of fame thing too. And, and another guy that really could have ended my career before I ever got in to the hall of fame. Uh, and that was Simon Keith and Simon was a soccer player at UNLV back in 19, in, in the mid eighties, 1980, I think five, six, seven, and eight, somewhere in that range. So I had just been on the job for a couple of years and Barry Bardo was the coach and came in and said that, Hey, I got a, I got a soccer player, him and his brother, Adam, um, they're from Canada. They, you know, they're both really good players, very solid players. And, but the only problem is this kid, Simon Keith, he just had a heart transplant and, you know, what do you think? And this and that. And I'm like, and, you know, again, I'm young, I'm just on the job. I'm, I, you know, I've never dealt with a heart transplant, not something that you go through athletic training school to, to deal with athletes with heart transplants. So it was, you know, really a, a new deal for all of us. But 
you know, I won't get into all that, but long story made short, Simon came to UNLV. Um, we could not find a doctor in the city of Las Vegas. Now, keep in mind, back then, Las Vegas wasn't but 500,000 people, maybe, that ever dealt with a heart transplant. No cardiologist or anything. We called around. So finally, we just worked with his cardiologist in Canada on all of his meds and things like that. And lo and behold, um, you know, Simon finished all four years, was, you know, a great, great athlete, you know, went on to live a very healthy life. And again, I joke about, you know, it could have ended my career because, you know, God forbid something would have happened to Simon Keith Howe. You know, and, and I'm sure this was, you know, we, we had this discussions with him and I know Coach Bardo, the same thing, the university liability and all that, of you know, was something that was unprecedented at the time. And uh, but but God, he he done such great things. And uh, and he went on to uh, to be now like he has his own foundation, the Simon Keith Foundation. He just recently had his second heart transplant a couple years ago. Uh, so he goes all over the world and literally all over the world and does a lot of motivational speaking about, um, you know, donor being a donor, uh, how it helps people. Uh, he's been, he'd appeared in Forbes uh, magazine. He's been featured on ESPN. Uh, he's the chief operating officer for the Nevada donor network. And he was inducted into the Southern Nevada sports hall of fame in 2012 he played professionally for the Canadian soccer team after, you know, he left UNLV. So it just goes to show you that, you know, if, if you're really committed and you really have faith, um, you know, you can do a lot of wonderful things. And certainly Simon was is uh, certainly more than deserving of that award and all the things that he's done, uh, you know, being a heart transplant recipient. So I just wanted to say that because it's, uh, I think it's very important. Hey. Hey. <laughs> Get it? Get it? <laughs> what? Canada? <laughs> oh, Canada. Okay, yeah. No, that's a little over my head, too. Yeah. Sorry. It's a high level. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, get a little less formal here. But yeah, yeah congratulations to all the recipients. Uh, bummer that the Cuddy couldn't have made it there. But you know what? Everything happens for a reason, I guess. Maybe you would have tripped on stage or something. You Save yourself know. some embarrassment. Exactly. So let's talk a little less about your career-ish and a little more personal, personal, you know, reflection and things. I I came up with some some cheesy questions, but I think that they are fun cheesy. for our audience because okay. people like cheese, you know. All right, my first one is. If you could talk to Jerry on his first day of his career, what would you tell him? <laughs> I'd say um, be patient, be persistent, and good things will happen. Okay. Nice and short. I like it. Yeah. I like it. All right. This one might take a little bit more thought, but I think that you got it. What are the five greatest moments of your career? And that can be like any small or big, just to you, this was like a wow, this was a great moment. 
Ah, yeah. Well, I mean, they're, they're yeah. You got to pick five. five, and they don't have to be chronological. No, like yeah, you no. can just rattle them off as they come to your mind. I'd say probably number one um, would be 1987. We were going to the Final Four. Uh, my first Final Four was in New Orleans. I had no idea what to expect or experience or whatever. And you know the, the and Jimmy. Your your brother Jimmy was born on two days before I left to go, so that was kind of cool because you know just have my second son. I'm going to the final four. wasn't probably cool for your mom at the time, <laughs> yeah. uh, but your grandma was out there to help her while I was going, and we lost in the end in the semifinals. Um, and so I flew out right after the game to be back home with my son, but that. That always has stuck out to me. I have a quick story insert there while you're thinking. So when I first moved to New York, I worked at a company called De Crescenti. It's a beer distributor. I met this guy named Alan, and he goes, you know, I think I met your dad once. And I was like, really? He's like, yeah, I was at the Final Four in New Orleans in whatever year, 1984, you said, 83, Seven. 87, something, something like that. He's like, and I... You know, all the UNLV administrators and stuff were out at this bar, and I started hanging out with them, and I, I swear I met your dad there. <laughs> so, Well, he might have, but it, at that, you know, when I was the athletic trainer, I never really had the opportunity to hang out at bars. <laughs> yeah. I, but, you know, I, I might have been out with dinner with the team or something like that. He could have run into me. But, uh, yeah. but yeah, there wasn't a lot of those times. Yeah. Um, Small I'd, world. Yeah. It is a small world. I'd say number two on the list would be, um, yeah, I, I guess, you know, being named the, you know, director or the head athletic trainer over the whole program and given that opportunity. And like I said, I was 25 years old. I had no idea what the hell I was doing. You know, I, I just kind of took the knowledge that I'd gained at West Virginia at Iowa State, kind of put it together and just figured out, Hey, if you're going to be in, you know, you might as well be in charge and, and do it your way rather than, you know, somebody else's way. So that was a real big, was definitely a turning point for both me and your mom at the time, because, you know, I wasn't making much money at UNLV. Your mom had gotten a teaching job at the time. Um, and so we were at a crossroads like, okay, do we stay here? Do we leave? You know, do I find, you know, go somewhere where I can make more money. And then that opportunity came along and I got a nice bump in salary and it kind of kept us moving forward to give us the opportunity to buy our first house. So that was kind of nice. Number three. Um, and again, these are in no order, but I'm just thinking of all the stuff that went on. Probably. Well, obviously the national championship in 1990, I, you, you know, you can't really replace that. And even, you know, I was there when UNLV golf won the national championship and, you know, I was a part of that because on paper, I was the golf athletic trainer at the time, which <laughs> that was kind of a fun job. You got and watch guys play golf, but that was cool. I mean, that, that was only the second national championship that UNLV had won and, um, under coach Dwayne Knight. And so that was pretty special. So I'd, I'd say combining those two, one was one year and then golf won it the next year. Um, was probably number three. 
I think number four probably was just my involvement on a national level as an athletic trainer. And, and that's one of the reasons I really didn't want to get out of the profession. As my bio indicated, I was the you know first president of the Nevada Athletic Trainers Association. And it's pretty easy to be the first president when you actually started it. <laughs> so uh, I, I had the opportunity to do that. Uh, because there really wasn't any representation in Nevada for athletic trainers in their district. And the district is made up of California, Hawaii, and Nevada. And so I, I kind of took that ball and ran with it. And, uh, and then that kind of spiraled into getting on a district committee. I was the PA director for district eight. Um, and then that helped me become the, the, uh, committee chair for the National Athletic Trainers Public Relations Committee, which was a great honor. And during that time, I, I was on the committee, the chair of the committee that actually started the National Athletic Trainers Month. So for our listeners out there, you know, everybody has a month now. Hell, everybody has a day now. I mean, every day it's like hot dog day or big dog day or something. But, um, but in, we, uh, as a committee, decided to have a national athletic trainers. At the time, I believe we just were going to do a day or maybe a week. And then it ended up moving into a whole month. So the month of March is National Athletic Training Month. And athletic trainers across the country do all kind of neat things to promote athletic training in the profession and all that stuff. So that was a big honor there to be able to do that. In addition to that, on the national and state level is still kind of the same number four, I guess. Um, I, uh, I was able to be the chair to that started the Nevada, uh, state licensure process. So we worked with a group of physical therapists and athletic trainers and, and, um, we ended up going to the state legislature with, which that with the help of a lady by the name of Valerie Weiner, who was a state uh, senator, I believe, or congressman. I think she was senator. And she helped us move that to the state legislature. And I, for, again, I'm terrible with years. I forget what year that was, but we ended up getting state licensure in the state of Nevada, and they still have it to this day. So that was really cool. Yeah, that's cool. Um, and number five, I just would say, you know, longevity, I, I, you know, I, athletic training was really great to me and our family. You know, we got to do a lot of neat things uh, when I, you know, got let go at UNLV for that last year and kind of figuring out what the heck I was going to do. I ended up at the University of Albany. And, and like I said, you know, you asked me about the first part is just like, you know, persistence and commitment and you know, good things will always work out for you. So I just say, you know, number five is just being able to have a great career over 38 years and being able to retire from something I really enjoyed. And, uh, and the friendships and the people that you meet are endless. And sometimes you think about it. I, it was kind of funny. Uh, I had a, uh, Marvin Menzies, who's been a good friend of mine for a number of years. He's a head basketball coach now at the University of Kansas City in Missouri. And uh, he got the job. And, you know, 
he had he had been at UNLV and he was really successful at New Mexico State. Then he went to Grand Canyon. Kind of one of those coaches that you know bounced around a little bit the last seven or eight or nine years. And uh, he gets this job at UMKC. And so I text him, "Hey Marv, hey, you know, glad you're back. Good job, you know, blah blah blah. Head coach again, you know, all that all that kind of con- congratulatory stuff." And he texts me back. He's like, LOL. He said, Jerry, what I really like about you, you know, you're one of those low maintenance friends <laughs> that you only hear from when it's really good to hear from you, you know. <laughs> and I think that's the way it is in athletics. What I like about uh, I, there's so many friends and so many people I've worked with or come in contact with on all these committees. And, and you don't necessarily have to talk to them all the time, but Anytime you ever need them or anytime you run into them, it's like you've, you never left them, you know? So that, that's, what's cool about the job. So I, I'd have to say those might be the top five off the top of my head. And of course there's probably 30 others too. Yeah. Those are good ones. I like the, the longevity. I was thinking like travel, like you did some really cool, like Australia and cool traveling too. Yeah, well, that sounds fun, but let me tell you what, it ain't what it's all about. Yeah, probably yeah. the pros and the cons. Yeah. yeah, it's it's not like you're going there just to, you know, right, hang, out. hang out. But but it is fun. I mean, you know, I saw parts of the world that I would never have seen in if I was in a, an, another profession, so it was pretty cool. Speaking of another profession, one of my questions is, if you could have been anything else, what would it be? It could be like an unrealistic thing, too. <laughs> Um, that, you know, Cooge, that's a tough question. Cause honestly, I have no idea that when I retired, you know, people tell me, oh, you should, you know, be a consultant. Don't want to do that. Uh, or be, you know, get another job. And I, and I think about this quite often. I don't know what else I could do. I really don't. I, I, I guess I'd have to start over and go back to college and say, okay, what I, I don't have any other interests. I mean, I, I've been in athletics my entire life. I mean, I, what about like a boat captain? Well, that, yeah, that, well, I mean those, yeah, a park ranger, you know, boat, ca- cause I like the outdoors and stuff, but. Okay. Well, those are jobs. It well, said it didn't know, have to be I realistic. I don't know if that's something I, <laughs> like, I, I don't know if I could spend 39 years yeah. and love it as much as I loved college or, you know, the athletic part of it. Uh, so that'd be kind of tough. I, I don't know. Okay. I, I know, have no idea. All right. Last question before we wrap it up. Who is your favorite child? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Right, Cooge. Right. <laughs> I couldn't even get that one out without laughing. Um, all right. Well, congrats on the Hall of Fame. Sorry you couldn't be there, but I think that Everybody could feel you were there in spirit. And I expect that almost every single one of these people are going to be a guest on this show (laughs) because you're going to make that happen. Well, I'd like to get, you know, going in with these guys and and women, I I definitely like to get them on our show because it'd be kind of cool to talk to them about their experience at the Hall of Fame that I wasn't able to be at. And then also just to kind of reconnect with them. So that, that might be something we could do. Cool. But and in closing, you know, I do want to thank um, uh, Dr. Keith Whitfield, who's the president at UNLV. I've never met him. I understand he's a great guy, but obviously, without his support, the Hall of Fame in athletics would not be possible. Of course, Eric Harper, you know, who's the athletic director now at 
at UNLV and was one of the administrators there when I was there under Jim Live and Good and uh, going to do a really great job. And uh, Mark Wallington, uh, Mark and I go way back. Mark's now the chair of the Hall of Fame committee. Uh, he's um, the assistant athletic director, senior assistant athletic director for uh, media relations there, has done a heck of a job during his time. And to the all the different appointees there and, and on the Hall of Fame board and some of them like Bruce Bain and Ray Brewer, Dick Calvert, Blake Douglas, Vaughn Keglubik, uh, Michael Kaur, Tina Hazard, Kelly Maruki, Ted Quirk, Eric Schwartz, Savannah Stallworth, all them crossed path with, you know, during my time at UNLV. And it's great to see them continue to make the Hall of Fame what it is today. So thanks, everybody. Uh, it was a great honor. Thanks, UNLV. Um, it was very nice to be able to reminisce and to see all these wonderful people getting inducted into the Hall of Fame. All right, everyone. And uh, like I said, look forward to these guests because they're coming your way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everybody have a great week and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening, everyone. Um, wherever you're streaming this podcast, if you would be so kind as to give us a subscribe and maybe even a review. In addition, you can find us for any updates on social media, Facebook or Instagram. Our handle is at Cuddy and the Cooge. Cuddy with a C, Cooge with a K. Or you can email any questions or submit any feedback to Cuddy and the Cooge at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you.